Hey, you guys, I want to let you know about Book of the Month, an exciting service that helps readers discover great new books while also promoting the work of emerging authors. Every month, the editorial team at Book of the Month reads through hundreds of new titles. They do the curating for you. They narrow it down to five to seven of the best new books on the market, and you get to choose your Book of the Month. To sign up, just visit bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can get your first book for just $9.99 by using the offer code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P. I should add that Book of the Month recently launched curated audiobooks in addition to hardcovers, so members have options. You can choose one or the other, either the hardcover edition or the audiobook. And if you pick the audiobook, you can download it and listen to it right there in the Book of the Month app. My latest pick is a novel called Anita DeMonte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez. It tells the story of a forgotten art star of the 1980s who died tragically and whose life and work and memory are later unearthed by an art history student. This is right up my alley. I can't wait to read it. So if you want to sign up for Book of the Month, remember, go to bookofthemonth.com and for a limited time, Get your first book for just $9.99 by using the code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P. One more time, that's bookofthemonth.com. Use the code CHIRP and get reading. Hey, you guys, this episode of Other People is brought to you by the Litbreaker Ad Network. Litbreaker helps book publishers, authors, and premium brands reach an engaged audience of authors, artists, editors, agents, producers, bloggers, media professionals, and readers. Lots of readers. Litbreaker ads appear on The Rumpus, Large Hearted Boy, HTML Giant, Full Stop, The Nervous Breakdown, Plowshares, and other high quality magazines and blogs featuring literary, arts-oriented, and pop culture content and above-the-fold advertising. Visit litbreaker.com for more information about advertising packages. Litbreaker is also accepting new partner sites in literary, general interest, mystery, creative writing, young adult, romance, and other book genres. That's the Litbreaker Ad Network, an ad network for the literary, arts, and culture web. Be sure to visit litbreaker.com for more information. It's an ad network for smart, interesting, readerly people. Go and advertise on it. Oh my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Right. Okay, everybody, here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is made with a computer. This is happening in the Milky Way. Good to be with you. Thank you for being here. My name is Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles, California, and I am sitting here in a chair. Uh, so just yesterday, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. We were talking about nudity. And uh, then we were uh, we were also talking about the show Girls. It was in the context of the show Girls on HBO, uh, that whole thing, the whole nudity issue, the Lena Dunham getting naked issue. And, and I, I almost feel bad even bringing it up because it's been talked about to death. But, uh, you know, that's what was happening. And for those of you who are longtime listeners of this program, 
uh, I think I've actually talked about nudity before in a monologue, you know, about how only a very small percentage of the human population actually looks good naked. And furthermore, uh, how like a very, very small percentage of human beings look good naked in direct sunlight. And so I think in this past monologue, I was making the argument that only these people <laughs> should be allowed to uh, go to the beach, for example. And the rest of us should have to stand off to the side, fully clothed, as a courtesy. Or uh, we should have to sit in bleachers or something and watch the beautiful people have fun uh, in various states of undress, uh, playing volleyball and paddle tennis and so on. And so my friend and I were talking, and uh, it was a conversation, uh, you know, we were discussing Lena getting naked on screen, blah, 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 and how, you know, she doesn't have the perfect supermodel body, and my friend, who is female, uh, she was making the argument that this is wonderful, we need to get over it, all we see on TV and in the movies are these perfect sculpted bodies, and it just makes the rest of us feel inadequate and bad about ourselves, and it's ridiculous and limiting and bleak and unnecessary. And, you know, I was agreeing as I sat there, sort of nodding my head as she was talking because, you know, I don't want people to feel bad. And I understand the show's appeal, uh, and I think people should be able to express themselves freely, obviously. But then, you know, it's just sort of like a mental exercise. I started thinking about counterpoint, and I started thinking about uh, sports in particular, and how if sports are going to be on television, we obviously want to see the best athletes play. You know, like nobody wants to watch me swim in the Olympics <laughs> or uh, play tennis. You want to see Michael Phelps and you want to see uh, Rafael Nadal, you know. And I understand that. I get it. And so I then started arguing that maybe, you know, all of these people who complain about body image and how we only see people with good bodies on television and in the movies, you know, maybe they need to get over it. Quit whining. I mean, the fact is most people, most viewers sitting at home or, or sitting in the movie theater, they don't want to see some fat, hairy, pasty, white, naked guy with like moles, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They don't want to see that on their television screen or at the movies or God forbid on like an IMAX screen. You don't want to see me naked on an IMAX screen. <laughs> not that I would be, but you know what I'm saying? And am I offended by that? Absolutely not. I get it. I agree. I don't want to see it either. <laughs> it should be outlawed. You know, I understand why people wouldn't want to see me naked in their living room in high definition, and I don't feel the least bit upset about that. And so there I was arguing about how complaining about all of these perfect bodies in the media is the same thing as complaining about how, uh, like, for example, the average high school baseball player 
doesn't get a turn at bat in the World Series. You know what I'm saying? It's just not how it works. You have to be a god to play in the pros on television. (laughs) You have to be blessed, okay? That's the way it works. You have to be rare and special. And if you're not, well, tough shit. Join the club. You're like most of us. And uh, we sit in the stands and we watch the the gods play baseball, or we you know we watch the the gods get naked and run around. That's what they're here for. They're here to run around and get naked for the rest of us while we eat. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, when you have Lena Dunham getting naked on television, this is how my argument like finished itself. Uh, when she's naked on TV on HBO uh, doing her thing. That's basically like when some guy or some girl at the baseball stadium gets really drunk and runs out onto the field. That's what's happening right now. She's a streaker. Lena Dunham is a streaker. And and you know what? I like a streaker. Streaking is good. I love it when somebody runs out onto the field uh, all wasted and screaming. That's a good tradition. And, uh, so when I was, you know, I was telling my friend that I think Lena Dunham is the most celebrated streaker in American culture at the moment. And, uh, she has essentially made her way down onto the field of popular culture and is currently running around nude while stadium security gives chase and the audience cheers. So I think I figured it out. That's my point. I think I have untangled this cultural knot for you. You're welcome. My guest today is Giancarlo de Trapano. He is the editor of the New York Tyrant magazine and the mastermind behind Tyrant Books, a terrific independent press that has published a, a range of talented writers, including Eugene Martin, Brian Evanson, Blake Butler, and Michael Kimball. And uh, later this year, he's going to be publishing Marie Calloway's debut novel, What Purpose Did I Serve in Your Life? That's been getting a lot of buzz. So very happy to have Gian here on the program. We had a great conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it. Here he is, folks. This is Giancarlo de Trapano. I'm in Hell's Kitchen, around 46, between 9th and 10th in my studio apartment. It's like a box. Um, I've been, yeah, I have a little private garden out back, which is nice, but, uh, yeah, I'm I'm in New York City. Are you doing Are you doing gardening? Are you actually? Yeah, there's snow out there right now, but <laughs> I don't really garden. I don't have to because it's uh, there's all this there's I mean there's bedrock underneath like in my garden. So I mean all this wild New York shit grows up instead of my backyard, and so and so I really don't have to like plant anything or garden anything. Once the sun comes out, it's um it's green out there. But it's uh yeah it's nice. It's weird um, to have it's weird to have a garden in New York City, right? That's a, that's a luxury. It's, yeah, it's it's a it's a luxury. I used to live next door on the third floor studio, and um I became friends with the super of this building, and he's uh he was like um whatever selling me weed and shit, and uh, <laughs> and, uh he got there were like two hundred people on the waiting list for his apartment, but he got me into it, and it's uh. 
It's it's great. It was cheaper than my other place, and I've been here ever since. I've lived on this I've lived on this block in this the space of two buildings for eleven years now. I guess it's weird. You get in like when you live in a city and you get like into a neighborhood for that long. It's hard to leave it. It's like your turf. You <laughs> it's know? hard to leave it. I, I love Hell's Kitchen, man. I love I I love my block. And there's a there's a gorgeous church on my block. There's a uh, uh, basketball court where I go play with my bulldog. It's uh, it's really nice, man. It's um and I know I bought, I found a fire pit out of, out in front of my building one day, like a nice iron big black fire pit, and I took it out back and we had fires last last winter when it was when there was hard, it was hardly a winter at all. You know, it was just like springtime mostly, and um we threw a bunch of fires, had people over, and uh, until until one night like. We were sitting up there by an editor from Vice, Tom Smorton. Um, and all of a sudden, I was like, I said, we see searchlights on the back of my building. And I'm like, what the hell is that? And then all of a sudden, like three firemen pop up over the walls of my backyard. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. Um, and I guess it's pretty illegal to have the kind of thing I have, but I didn't know. I told him, I, like, I looked on the internet, and he's like, I don't care what the internet says. Like, you know how to have this. So. But, uh, yes, it, it's a luxury. It feels like you're miles away when you have a fire in the backyard. It feels like you're uh, out of the city. But So now I only do them occasionally. You only do the fires occasionally? What were they? Saw it with a helicopter? Yeah, they saw yeah. it with a helicopter? No, no. Like, sir, they had searchlights. Like, I don't know. Some, someone called the fireman on me. And, uh, I mean, I've thrown a ton of them already, but someone, I guess, I think it was someone, this crazy guy from my building that was trying to get the building in trouble. I think he ratted me out. So he called the fireman. And they came over, like, over the walls. Yeah, I've always, ever since I've been a kid, because I grew up in the Midwest, and it was like you throw, you're, yeah. you know, people are throwing parties when parents are out of town, and people are like neighbors are calling the cops. Like I've always, yeah. de- I've always detested people who call the cops on their neighbors or call, you know, anybody. yeah. Who does that? Like who? I mean, you'd have to do something I, this, this pretty asshole, severe. Well, he was insane. He was insane. This guy was, this guy was crazy. He was taken shortly after that to Bellevue. Uh, the mental ward here in, here in the city. Um, he was uh, he, he was nuts, and like they were trying to get him out of the building, so he was trying to get the building in trouble, I think. And he called the cops. Also, when I'm throwing this fire, there's like a huge, you know, long column of you know black smoke going up into the sky that every everyone these apartment buildings could see. So it could have been somebody else. I was a little worried, but I don't know. Um, now I just throw them occasionally every once in a while. I had like I had the whole like new house kids over here, my my kids. But well, I, I didn't I didn't I didn't realize at the time that uh, that Jordan and Jordan Castro and um, Mallory were like nineteen, you know. And then we were over here and I threw a fire with them and Tal and Megan. And uh, when I had like you know some fun friends over, I'll throw one, but I just don't do it as much as I used to. So wait, do you, do you have to get? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you go get firewood. Can you get firewood? Yeah, yeah, from the yeah, they sell firewood on the corner. You know, they sell they firewood on the corner, so it's pretty. Uh, yeah, it's pretty convenient. Right. A lot of a lot of places have fireplaces and shit like that. So I don't know. For some reason, I don't associate that with New York City, but I guess that's true, huh? Yeah, but people people have you know people people have fireplaces. You know, they have they have you know nice homes that they can build fires in. So convenience store, the bodegas, whatever. So. So, you know, like five chunks of wood, and uh, and I usually like throw a Duraflame in there because I'm lazy about crunching up newspaper. Shit, it always takes forever. Right. So, right. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, let's get into uh, let's get. I mean, I want to like uh, ask you about you because, like, you know, you. It's, it, it, this is the way I experience uh, people so often in my life is that I see them repeatedly on my computer screen, and for the right. for the past couple of years, you've repeatedly popped up on my computer screen, uh, which has piqued my interest. Right. I'm sorry. It's I'm so right. sorry. <laughs> it's, uh, but like, first of all, your name—it's Giancarlo Di Trapano. Is that how you pronounce it? John, 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 no, Giancarlo Di Trapano. But I was—I was raised in West Virginia, and my mother, um, my mother's a little bit. He has a southern accent, so she called. She turned Giancarlo into Gian, like Gian, is how she calls me. And so I grew up with the name Gian. And my, my Italian friends call me Giancarlo. People, some people call me Giancarlo, but most my friends, if you're close with me, you call me Gian. You know, that's so that's it's, my name. It's a Giancarlo. 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 Okay. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, your bio, like your bio online, which I think is pretty funny. If you don't mind me reading it, you say, "No, uh, go ahead." Giancarlo Di Trapano is a six foot, two hundred pound, blonde Italian, straight acting, seven inches top cut. He is also the editor of the New York Tyrant and Tyrant Books. <laughs> yeah, that's a, well. That that was basically. I, don't, I forget who the first time someone asked me for that, and I was like, "Well, what am I? You know, what's the lowest common denominator kind of thing here?" And I just thought of what I used to send out, like before I had a boyfriend, like hooking up with guys online. You know, that was my stats. You know, that was like essentially what I am. Or the, I mean, not, I didn't say tyrant books or anything, but that was my physical characteristics. So I just kind of kept it and throw it in. I throw it in occasionally on something. And, and uh, a lot of people get pissed off about straight acting or whatever, but... Well, I was going to ask, ask you about that. Because, like, like, you know, like, is it, when you say straight acting, like, this is just how you talk. I mean, you don't sound super... Yeah, creative. but I mean, also, if you, if you knew me, like, I don't know, everyone's surprised that I, like, fuck guys. It's like, you know... That I have boyfriends and shit. It's like they're always blown away just because you know they have they will they think gay is a certain thing. I mean, I've actually never I don't know I've never identified with you know to be honest with the gay community. Like I don't I don't uh you know I don't love like striving all the stereotypical things. I don't you know I don't really go to gay bars. Both my friends are straight. Um, I and I just. I don't know. People don't. People never think I'm gay. They're surprised about it. But, well, um, but you know, you bring up Streisand. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it makes me think. Cause, you know, <laughs> I, mean, I like a couple things. You know, well, no, I like a couple things about it. You but know. here's the thing, because I've had this conversation before with gay friends of mine, where I'm like, like, what is it with Madonna? Why do all the gays love Madonna so much? Like, what is it about Madonna that like? When what is it about Streisand? And what is it about? Uh, well, I about Judy Garland. Yeah, Judy yeah, Garland, yeah. right? Well, I mean, I think it's. That's my boy came about this. He was much more, uh, I don't know, in tune with that stuff. He's, uh, he's, he's just said, you know, that it's, it's, you know, just a very emotional sounding voice. Well, I mean, considering like Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand, you know, I don't, I don't know, if Madonna is exactly that, but I don't know, you know, who, who knows what makes things appeal to certain people? Like it's. It's really strange what you know groups of people latch on to. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just you know, gays are maybe more emotional or something. I don't know. And Judy has a, a way, I guess. Uh, I don't know. And I do. I do like some Judy Garland stuff, but I'm not. You know, like I don't hear it and go fucking nuts. I'm not like you know. Right. 
to listen. I used to listen to the Wizard of Oz when I was a little kid on like on a record player in my living room, and, and whenever like the witch part would come on, I mean I was little, and I would I would like go into the next room and like plug my ears because she freaked me out, and like wait till her part was over before I would come out and listen to the rest. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> now that movie kind of freaked me out when I was a kid too. You know, it's sort of it's sort of yeah. spooky. Sort of spooky. It's good. I just I just watched it the other night with uh, with um, with my boyfriend, and he was showing me all this uh, all this weird stuff in it that I'd never seen before. It's uh, it's pretty cool, you know. Like all those, I guess it was just like uh, the filming of it just became kind of an orgy for all the munchkins, and I mean they're not munchkins, but whatever they were, whether they were uh, what do you call them, uh, vertically challenged, you know, or you know, <laughs> little people, or, you know. Yeah, but then we, it was it was like the first time that they had all been together in like one setting, so the place turned into like an orgy. Like they were just like fucking everywhere, fucking each other. Like cause there were so many of them, and <laughs> and so it's supposedly they were just crazy. This is actual. So, this is funny. actual like Wizard of Oz history. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, not like not like the Pink Floyd thing, whatever. You know. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's real. <laughs> yeah, this is supposedly real. They like couldn't get them. You know. Like, stop fucking under the trailer. (laughs) Well, I guess, yeah, I guess if you're, like, a little person and you're, like, living in isolation in a world of normal sense of people. And all of a sudden you're fucking brought into 200 people, like, 200 people just like you, it'd be awesome. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Okay, so this is something that I've always kind of envied about the gay community because, like, here in Los Angeles, like, you know, the gay community basically is centered or is centered in West Hollywood. And it's really not that huge of an area. I mean, it's like, you know, yeah. you know, considering the size of Los Angeles, it's all concentrated in yeah. a, a pretty small, like, chunk of real estate. And I think to myself, like, God, that would make things so much easier if you just knew where to go, where all your people were. You're just like, this is where it yeah. is. And that's where you have to show up. It seems like uh, well, kind of nice. I mean, I think they probably know, you know, like, I don't know. They know where to go. I like I know where to go in New York or when I used to like go out looking for guys or whatever I knew where what bars the guys I like you know were hanging out and uh you know I don't know it's just something that you you know you find out it never, I, it, I don't know, from my perspective as a straight guy it always, it always just felt like uh, like one big mystery to me like where do we go where 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 are the women at like I you know I know you can go to bars. yeah yeah well yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's different being straight. Like, I don't know. I was, you know, um, I was, you know, basically straight until, you know, I was like 21, 22. Like, I I was always with girls, you know. That's all I wanted to fuck with girls. And, and, uh, in an, in an, was in an authentic bit, way? In an authentic way or like in a closet in an authentic, way? In an authentic way. Like, I was, I had a girlfriend, man. I had a girlfriend for like 19 years. I mean, you know, I loved... You know, I love being with her. I love, you know, being with her in bed. Everything was fine. And then at a certain age, I um, kind of, I hooked up with this guy. And it was, uh, I was just like, okay, you know, I like this a lot more. Like something kind of set me off. And um, from that point on, I just kind of like the... Kind of the gay shit grew in me, and the uh, hetero shit kind of, you know, disappeared a little bit. I disappeared, I and mean, I still find women very attractive, and I would have sex with tons of women. Like there's tons of women that I look at and I see are fucking hot, and I'd love to be with them. It's uh, but I'm, you know, I mostly, I'm, you know, 
I'm with my boyfriend for like five, we've been together for five years, so it's I'm pretty much like a fag, you know. So well, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's you know it's interesting because like sexuality, like uh, it's I don't know if mutable is the right word, but. It's not like I think people have these like a lot of people have these definitions of orientation that are really rigid. And, you know, I think there's obviously that black and white. It's not that black black and white white at all. Like, I mean, I I told my boyfriend the other day, like, if you had a vagina, like, I wouldn't care. Like, I would, you know, I would still want to be with you. Like, it's not like it's not about your dick or anything. It's like the rest of you. You And he he was surprised about that because. He's a big fan of dicks, so. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but that's the thing, like, and I think, like, I don't know, was it Alfred Kinsey who came up with, like, that 10 scale where, like, 5 is, like, super, like, completely bisexual, like, right in the middle, and then yeah. like, 10 is, like, super hetero, and 1 is super gay. Yeah. Like, that sort of makes sense to me. Like, you just have, and everybody's got a little bit of both somewhere, but, like, some people are squarely hetero to varying degrees, and some people are squarely gay to varying degrees, and then there's people who right. exist, like, in the middle, you know? I mean, but you just see, dude, I mean, like, you see guys that are just, like, you know, they're totally women, and you see women that are totally men, and it's, I don't know, it's just, uh, it's it's just confusing to me, you know, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a face guy, like, I, you know, I have to have a, a face guy, like, and, and, uh, that's kind of what it boils down to, I guess. I don't know. So, okay, you know? so, and you're from West Virginia? I am from, I was born and raised on the Canal River in Charleston, West Virginia, right across from the capital. If you could, you could get in the river, where the capital's right on the river, you could get in the water and swim across. And with, uh, I mean, I've done this so many times with the tides, where with the current of the river, it will usually land you right in my backyard. I, I grew up there. Um, and it was wonderful. It was, you know, it was a great place to grow up. I lived on the river, so I was, you know, kind of boating life when they were, like, was on boats and whatever, drinking on boats and hanging out during the summer when it was nice. And it's a great place to grow up. But once I was 18, I took off and and have been, you know, several places since then. But I've never gone back. So I what, just don't. What about your family? I mean, it's just like, I'm, 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 you know, your name. It's like Giancarlo de Trapano from West Yeah, Virginia. Giancarlo de Trapano. Well, <laughs> I know, it's very, so yeah, growing up with a name like Gian in West Virginia was, you know, not the easiest thing. You know, people are usually like Jim. I'm like, okay, yeah, just call me Jim. I don't care. But uh, it's, uh, my, my grandfather came to West Virginia to work in the coal mines when he was 14 from Italy. And to work in the coal mines of West Virginia to support his family back there, and he uh, he was in Cabin Creek, you know, working in the mines, and opened up a, like a little a store that kind of competed with the company store. You know, he wasn't ripping off the miners like the company stores were, um, and he you know made a you know made a little bit of cash there, raised a family in West Virginia, one of whom was my father. And I grew up there, and then I, you know, when I was 18, I went, whatever, I went out west for a year, and I went down to New Orleans for, to study with the Jesuits, so I'm like, I'm really, I'm really, I'm really happy that the new, uh, Papa, the new Pope is, uh, a Jesuit, I, I think that's nice, um, I don't know too much more about him, but the fact that he's a Jesuit is, uh, it's a good thing. What's a, what is the, um, what is the Jesuit? What, like, what significance? Well, the, Je- the Jesuits are just kind of more like, I don't know, they're more, they're more philosophers and forward thinking people, you know, they've been, 
you know, they've been run out of the church many times. They're, uh, they're just, you know, less, I don't know what the fucking word is for. They're just, I don't know, they're smarter. They, they know what's going on. I mean, I think he's, if he can do like a couple, I texted a friend of mine last night. Uh, I was like, he just needs to, you know, speak out about contraception and make that, you know, fine. Supply anyone who needs it with it. You know, I don't even tell you, you know, gay rights to me, the best sex I had when I was, was when I was still kind of like closeted or whatever. So I feel like gay rights is going to ruin all like hot closeted future sex for <laughs> young gays, which is, which is a big problem because when you're, when you're in that stage, like it's, it's the best, I guess, you know, because it's just this like secret forbidden shit, whatever. But then what you, you know, once it's out and whatever, it becomes, you know, it's still good, but it was never, you know, it's never exactly that thrill, you know. Obviously, I'm joking here, you know, they, if anyone wants to get married and, you know, gay should be able to be married if they want to, I think it's a miserable sounding idea, but, you know, <laughs> do it. Well, but no, and like so, speaking of the because I was raised Catholic too, and I'm Italian. I don't know where you're from, where your family's from, in Italy. Okay, they're from like an hour south of Rome. It's a, a small town, Fitzgerald. It's in Lazio. It's uh, near like near towns like Latina, like all the okay, all the all the swamp land around there. When before Mussolini came in, it was all just swamp from like the mountains out to the sea, out to the out to the Gulf, or not the Gulf, the yeah, the Med, the Med. Um, and he came in and, uh, what is, what the fuck you call it? Um, when you put it, like, put in pumps and pump out all the water from the swampland, it turned it into, like, great farming land. And so all these people, yeah, irrigate, irrigate, yeah, exactly. Um, and um, so it's an area with, you know, like, where a lot of Mussolini sympathizers, you know, where you, you to, to this day, you go in and you buy Mussolini calendars wherever you go, and it's, you know, they were they were happy to have him. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the area, Lazio, you know, it's, it's still, you know, still Roma, it's still, you know, it's still the same, similar dialects, I guess, but, um, yeah, that's the area. Where, where's Misty from? Misty, Sicilia. Or Misty. Damn. Okay, Sicilia. Well, that's actually, that's where, like, my last name, Di Trapano, used to be Di Trapani, and Trapani is a town in Sicily. Um, and then over the years, like when the people moved out of there, sometimes I don't, I don't know why the fuck it happened, but the I turned into an O and I think it was, um, I don't know what, it, what the hell it was. Maybe they were trying to say they weren't Sicilian once they moved up there because, the, uh, you know, the people up North, they, you know, there's a big North South thing in Italy. So sure, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it, it changed, but my my oranges are in are in Sicily, and Sicily is fucking beautiful. It's a, it's a it's a whole other place from Italy. I feel like it's just like its own its own country almost. I've never been. I've never been. Have you been there? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. I was there with my dad on his 80th birthday, and like the like if you go in a certain time in April or May, like the the orange blossoms and. The, the lemon trees, like it's all you smell, and the, the food is fantastic. And you know, it's a lot of you know the Moors came through at a certain point, so it's a lot of it's different, different architecture, different you know, looking churches, more. Um, it's 
what am I trying to say? Not more as, you know, um, it's different. It's different than, than, the, than the main body of Italy. It's, it feels like a different place, but it's wonderful. People are wonderful. Sure, yeah. It's a friendly country. Yeah, yeah I like Italy. Like, and and it, sounds yeah. like, it sounds like you have like maybe more of like a a feel for your your ethnicity than I do. Like, do you speak Italian? I speak Italian. I, I speak Italian better than any other English speaker that I know that speaks Italian. Anyone I've ever heard. But it was so, it was really easy for me. It was like, it was already there. I took a, I went over there for school when I was in college, like a sophomore year thing abroad at Loyola over there. And, um, and took some classes, but then I'd go out at night with my Roman friends and it was just like, it just happened. Like I looked at some books for a little bit, but it was just natural. And then if you have a big, you know, if you have a good understanding of English language, like you can, you know, you can work it around, and then and then learning the Italian just makes you know the English language so much better. Just from learning another language, like it's, I felt like I had no idea about the English language until I learned Italian. And then, but yeah, I mean, I had you know, it's uh, it's it was something that I did not work on, and I felt that it, like was inside me and just opened up. It was just like uh, an opening, and now I can just, I've always, uh, it's very easy. It's, wow. like, it's like my favorite thing about me, yeah. I wish I could I speak a language. I wish I could speak a I mean, I speak a little Spanish and a little uh, French, but I, you know, not not fluently. It's great. Like, I turn into another person, like, when I speak in Italian. It's like a whole other. I mean, you know, I don't know. I have this uh, Napolitano friend across the street here in Hell's Kitchen. And whenever we're talking on the phone, uh, it's always like, you know, my voice is, you know, a couple of volumes higher and I'm, uh, I don't know, you know, my hands and arms start moving, and I'm like this, it's, it's schizophrenic is what it is. I mean, that's what you have to be, you know, to learn another language. You can, you can learn the words to say, and you may know them up and down, but if you don't know how to say it, like how to accent, what to do with your hands while you're saying it, what to do with your eyes and face and chin and everything, like they won't understand you. you know, it's, it's the point from, like, you know, asking for where the where the 99 number bus is, like, this one kid I was understanding that he's like, you know, you know, dove l'autobus numero 99. And, you know, that's, the kinds who understand that, they understand. Dove l'autobus numero 199. It's a different thing. I don't know. It's such a great language. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it, sound, it sounds good. Even when I don't understand it, it sounds good to listen to, you know? No, it's music, man. And that's when you walk around Rome, it's all you hear is music. You know, people speaking. It's it's wonderful. I had this I had this Roman friend who he just spoke. He like his I don't know his voice or something was. We'd be out and like other Italians are looking at him. Like it was it was very. Uh, like he was kind of a not a teacher to me, but he's kind of who I listened to. I think I sound like him when I speak it. I like I go into his like voice tone or whatever. It's it's weird. Well, but, uh, okay, so well, let me just try to trace this. So, like, you're you're in West Virginia. You're 18. What what did your parents do? Like, if your grandfather worked in the coal mines, did your uh, my grand my grandfather worked in the coal mines? By yeah, and he had four what one two three four kids. My father was the oldest. My father went to Notre Dame, graduated from their law school when he was 22. Couldn't get a couldn't get a job. No one believed he was so young looking that he was a lawyer. But um, he raised my family in Charleston. I'm the, I'm the youngest of five. Um, and uh, I yeah, lived there and um, until I was 18. Then I, then I took off 
whatever out west, went down to New Orleans and. What did you What did you do out go, west? What did you do out west? Oh man, I was out there living with friends, fucking snowboarding, and we moved to Leadville. It was like the highest city in America, where, where like the like Oscar Wilde came and went down in the silver mining caves. With have you heard that story with the guys, like with all the miners? No, he this came is, over this to is America. Leadville, Colorado. Leadville, Colorado. Yeah. He went, Oscar Wilde made a visit there and he went down with like the miners and there's, there's some joke that he made. I can't remember right now. Um, they were trying to get him really drunk or something off a very few glasses, I guess. And he's, you know, said it was going to take a lot more than this. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was a good time. I was, I was into like, I was into riding the fucking mountains. I was into, you know, snowboarding and shit. So we, we worked at, uh, Holiday Inn as housekeepers, and um, and then would ride Copper Mountain every day. Just smoking, and then, like, just we smoking got weed and housekeeping. Smoking weed, doing acid, and riding. And uh, until we got in trouble, we were doing acid on my birthday one night, and like we we're coming home from a bar, and they wouldn't sell like there's certain Colorado has restrictions on you know what beers they could sell, or I think it's usually they sell like whatever the the smallest proof is 3-2 yeah yeah 3-2 but we needed it was, it was past the hour that we could buy it and we were like all frying on acid so we're going back to the cabin so we needed it so some friends ran in the place and they tried to buy it they wouldn't let them so then they went back in and grabbed it and just threw the money on the counter and ran out and uh, we took off and then some girls that we were hanging out with ratted us out all my friends got arrested, and I drove my car out of the city before they got me, and I didn't go back. That was so. it. like an outlaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I drove down to San Diego, and uh, yeah, I just took off. I don't know. Okay. So. I knew that. I was like the cop. The cops called us at our cabin. Was like they were like, hey, just come to the station. You know, we're not going to arrest you. We just want to talk to you. I was like, you guys are idiots. Don't go. They was like, you'll be fine. I was like, I'm not going. And then 20 minutes later, they're down there and they call. They're like, we got arrested. Come on, bail us out. And I got my truck and left. <laughs> Smart guy. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so then you went to New Orleans to go to school? Yeah. I went to, I went to, I went to Loyola in New Orleans and studied philosophy. Um, it was a great philosophy department. I love New Orleans. I'd never, I'd never been... Um, I'd never been to New Orleans when I applied to it. And I, I got home from Colorado, and my dad was like, look, man, you got to go to college. You know, you can't just fuck off. I tried to go to college at WVU the year before, and it was West Virginia University in Morgantown, which is just frat football shit, which wasn't really my scene. And, um, I, you know, I was I was going to study philosophy. My 101 class had, like, 300 people in it, like, in a stadium classroom. And it was just bullshit. So I stopped going to class the first week and just hung out till semester ended. Since I'm from there, and my tuition was like a hundred bucks, whatever. But uh, and then we we took off out to Colorado, and Who's then when me? I came back, I, um, me and so I kind of well, just, I don't know, me and my my best friend from like kindergarten, we were watching that movie. We were like, we were there in the dorm room one day, and it's like watching that movie, The Doors, and the like. There's just like a little scene of. As Val Morrison, you know, like hitching out west, and like we should go out west. And Dude, it started from there. And, it's so funny. And then, like, it's so funny to hear you say that because, like, I remember just like, what was this like ninety? I don't know if we're the same age, but uh, I remember distinctly being a freshman in college and watching The Doors and being. Like, yeah, yeah, it was that time. It was that time. Um, 
it's uh yeah, and we and we did it. And like a bunch of other friends came out afterwards. There were like eight guys living in a two bedroom cabin, but like way up high. It was man, it was nice. It was fun stuff. And just I mean I, I was into fucking I was into I was into boarding at the time a lot. I just I loved it. And but then when that happened I took off and, you know, I wasn't gonna become a ski bone. Like even though that's you know, it's a wonderful life, I just you know, I wanted to do some more shit. So I went down to school. I went and I was like, you got to go somewhere. And I was like, okay. And I was, I went out on the river on, on, I took out a boat and was just out there by myself, smoked a joint. And I, I remember I had my head hanging off the back of the boat, like looking at the river upside down, like looking up the river and a little tugboat came by and I was thinking about where to go to college. And the tugboat was from New Orleans and I was like a perfect New Orleans. And, uh, so I applied and rolled took my shit down there, threw it in the dorm, went downtown, and was like, I love this place. I love the people. I love the city. I still have tons of good friends down there. And so. It's a great, it's the great, it's a great American city. My, my parents are from Louisiana, so like I grew up, oh, okay. I grew up going down there all, you know, every year, and it's just such, it's such like, a great city. It's the only place I think I could live besides New York, I think, in here. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe San Francisco or something like that, but New Orleans is, it's fantastic. I don't know. It's, uh, Every time I go down there, I'm like, shit, why do I leave here? <laughs> then I then I kind of remember, you know, it's like, in New York, if you don't want to, well, when they moved to New York, because a friend of mine told me, it was from here, it's like, if you don't want to, if you don't want to see anybody for a year, that you know, you don't have to. Like, you can disappear there. And that was very appealing for me at the time. I don't know, I was kind of, you know, I was, uh, I was going through some changes, and that was, I was just like, that's where I want to go. You know, because you can, you know, you have here, you have your buzzers on your door. You don't have to answer that. In New Orleans, people come up to your windows, you know, and like look in your house and see if you're there. If your friends want to drag you out. But here you've got like some protection. So, so when, you uh, say, when you say you were going through changes, what do you mean? Is this like the whole... Well, no, just like, I don't know. Yeah, like I was, I had a girlfriend at the time. I was breaking up with her. I started seeing guys and like, you know, I was kind of like, I never did like coming out of the closet thing. I was just like, you know. I never like called my friends and told them like, "Hey, I'm seeing guys now." Like, but I was just, you know, I you was didn't, just, you didn't yeah, change like, change your status on Facebook or something. <laughs> no, I think my status still says like, I think it still says like I'm looking for a female or something. Right? That my boyfriend brings up, <laughs> or it's uh, I don't know, I I don't know, I don't know what my status is on Facebook. So what about um, your what about your family and stuff? Are they do they know? Is it all good? Yeah, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, they were, they were, I mean, my mom was a little, she didn't believe me, you know. She was, just because I'm, you know, I don't, you know, she grew up in West Virginia. She's, I don't know, kind of all she knows, like gay means, whatever, you know, effeminate acting, whatever. And she's, it just, it blew her mind. And she was, she was kind of not into it. My dad was always super fucking cool, you know. He was always, always cool about it. I mean, it's like his favorite writers are, you know, like Grant Green, Oscar Wilde, and Golden Doll and all this shit. Like he's he's more of a, I don't know, a little more not a little more worldly, I guess, yeah. than my mother. But yeah, she just didn't really like. I don't know. She didn't believe me. I was just like, I told her I was like, you know, you telling me that you don't believe me is like me telling you like I don't believe that you like pizza you know <laughs> it's like I mean it's so fucking ridiculous to, to say you don't believe what I like it's, you know, 
Like you think I'm lying to you? <laughs> I don't know. But then, you know, so then she came around, you know, she, she met my boyfriend and now it's cool. We, we went down there a couple of weeks ago and went and saw my family and hung out. And it's, uh, you know, it's fine. I don't know if, you know, if I'd never left West Virginia and come to New York, it's a lot easier to be, you know, a gay man in the city than it is to be at a place like Charleston. Yeah. But, um, I don't know, you know, if I think if I'd stayed there and they said, you know, this had grown in me or whatever, I, you know, I'd probably be, I'd probably be dead. I'd probably killed myself with food and drugs by this time, you know? Um, but, uh, I don't know. It's just in, in the city. It's, you know, I don't, you don't even think about it. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's all if, about if it. We're driving, if we're driving a country or something and like, you know, it's like giving up, you know, giving him a kiss and, you know, on the street could cause like, you know, something, something a little different than it could on, you know, on out here on Ninth Avenue on 46. Like, well, that's the thing. No one's going to no one's gonna scream flag it at you. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I, I grew up in the Midwest and then uh, spent some time in Colorado. Even in Colorado. I mean, Colorado is not exactly... I don't know. There's I mean, there's a lot of tolerant uh, people, but it's not the same as like New York City or L.A. or San Francisco. Like, and I think when you live, right. you live in one of these bigger cities where there's high constant, you know, high, like big gay populations or whatever, and people just don't give a shit. It, it uh, you forget, you know, that uh, in other parts of the country, it's just like you're, it's totally alien to them, you know. And I don't even know if I don't even know if it's because like they're more cool with it or whatever, but just like they're doing shit. You know, like they they have shit to do, so they don't even care about it. So, and maybe in smaller places, they don't have much to do except, you know, maybe yell fagging at you or something. <laughs> but I, you know, uh, but I've, I've never really had that. You know, I never had that happen just because I, I don't know, I don't, you know, I can't even, I can't even, I. Act stereotypically gay. I guess I try to. It's like it's just not in me. So yeah, I, I feel like you could you could you know, have an easier time blending in like a place like you know. Like yeah, I mean, I'm would. never I'm I'm never called. You know, I'm never. No one ever thinks. Never, no one's ever suspicious that I'm that I'm a sexual deviant. Except for that. <laughs> except, for, except for your uh, Judy Garland T-shirt. Except for that. Yeah, except for my Judy Garland. I have a Stevie Nicks T-shirt that I wear around sometimes too. Like, <laughs> that's a little hint. So uh, okay, so like let's let's keep going with the bio. Like you, you're in New Orleans. You study philosophy. How long are you there for? How many years did you live in New Orleans? I was there. I was in New Orleans. I had, I don't know, often on, going back from New Orleans to Rome, I was in Rome for like three years. I was in New Orleans probably for five. And then I, uh... Wait, you lived in whatever, Rome? My you girl, lived in Rome for three years? Yeah, yeah, three, four years. I, uh, well, after, after I did, I did a, I did a year like during school. Then when I graduated from Loyola, I moved back over with my girlfriend and... I was studying, like, the only thing available at St. John's University, like, international diplomacy, and which I don't give a fucking shit about. Like, <laughs> I thought I would. It was just the one thing that was being offered that I could, you know, it was my reason to stay in Rome because I loved being in Rome and in Italy. So I did it. Then halfway through, I got, I got done with, like, half of my master's and was just like, I don't care about this, you know, not to sound insensitive or anything, but, like, I don't, my immediate concern is not the globe and like geopolitics and geoeconomics. It's, uh, 
a lot of the other peoples, it was a lot of the other students. And so at a certain point, I was just like, man, I'm like, fuck this. I don't want to go and become a diplomat like in the Congo. And because you really, you have, you have, you have very little choice once you graduate from something like that. It's like the government offers you a, you know, a position in the Congo, perhaps, and, uh, and maybe, uh, you know, that wasn't what I wanted to do. And I, you know, I don't know. Politics is not really my, is not my forte. So I, uh, so I, I quit that and I came back, uh, came back to, I came back to New Orleans. My girlfriend and I were just, I don't know, we were fighting all the time and drinking a lot and just like, and we never did that before. So I got in the car one day and took off, came to West Virginia. So I stayed with my folks and a friend of mine was who was up in New York, was like a buddy of his had a sublet. So I he's like, Come check out the city for a month and I came up here and was like you know, I love it. I love it and I, I moved. And then I've I've been here ever since. I got up here and so I started working at uh as an intern at uh for our shops in Jerusalem, uh at the street. And, you know, I was interested in, you know, I've always been a reader and I wanted to do something like that. But I just realized it was going to take me like a really long time to do anything that I maybe liked starting there at that point. So I had some money um, and I started the tyrant with a couple of friends from FSG that I met there. And then many people have come, come and gone since then. But, um, yeah, we started just as like, I don't know, I thought there was, there were a lot of writers I liked that I wasn't seeing in journals. And like, I don't know, it seemed like at the time, like all there was was McSweeney's. And it was just like, at the time, I just didn't, you know, McSweeney's done some great stuff. Like, I don't know, the Sheila Hetty, The Middle Stories is one of my favorite books. That was, I think that was their like second or third book. It's, it's great. But I was just kind of, I don't know, I was just kind of blot out with all of it and, so I had some cash and was like, let's let's start a journal. And we did. And, um, you know, we got a good response. And then, you know, they broke off. I ended up sleeping with the girl. This was after I was already, like, fucking guys. I ended up sleeping with the girl who I started it with, and, which was a, a mistake, obviously. Jesus. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, who is she? And, uh, uh, I, I can't really say who she is. But she... And I worked with her at FSG, and she's gorgeous, and we were just really close, you know. And it, you know, you know, when you're close to someone, like you know, you, you fuck up and take sex is is the thing to do. We were at the, actually we had like the like Chelsea Hotel, like it was it was a weird night. This band um, that I know was in town, and we we're having a party there, and and uh, we hooked up, and actually then we hooked up again, and then it was. And it just became weird, and and uh, some some weird shit went down, you know. Um, like what? I don't know. She was uh, <clears throat> she um, she had well at the time we just started, so she had access to like I mean we all knew each other's passwords, kind of. You know, I would like I would never think of going and looking at someone else's thing. And I, it was like, I was disinterested at the time. I would never have done that. But she was reading these emails between a friend of mine and me. We were pretty sick in uh, our humor. And she she kind of took some joking stuff very seriously. And um, 
she freaked out and like they were doing the files for the first book and um I had to pay like and she like held them for ransom I had to pay her a bunch of money to get them to put the book out and I don't know it was just it was it was weird she, she's a great girl um she's doing great now and uh but yeah, it was it was weird political shit. Like, actually, no, we shouldn't have fucking hooked up. You know, that was. Uh, I went out with her like the next, you know, the next night. I hooked up the second time. Was like, look, you know, we can't do this. Like, I mean, I like you're great, but if we're gonna work together, we really can. And um, I don't know. Yeah, you know, sex it's, is. Uh, like, I I talk to some people, like friends of mine, or I've had, you know, you have this conversation about sex and like, it complicates things. Like in my experience, like people who can have, yeah. I, I know that it's, I think it's probably possible to just have casual sex, but like, uh, you know, I was never wired for it personally. I, like it never, right. never felt totally casual to me. And, and it certainly never felt casual to the women that I, you know, was with or whatever. So oh, I think yeah. it's like, I think well, it's that's... just, it's, it's rare when people can be just totally like, yeah, no problem. Done. <laughs> yeah, and you think, I mean, that's that's kind of, you know, well, that's how it's viewed. I mean, the gay community is viewed like that, but you would think that it's like that, and, and it mostly is. And like, well, yeah, that's the know. thing. Two guys, I mean, it's, two, not like the lesbians, uh, it's a different story, but I feel like two guys, yeah. they're genetically or biologically wired to be more uh, casual, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there was a point where I was, you know, I was just being a slut on Craigslist, and I mean, I could, I could, you know, have somebody over here blowing me faster than I could get like food delivered. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's really, and now the grinders come out and shit. Like, I mean, that, that, that's uh, that's amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely more kind. Of, you know, most of it. But then, you know, when you're getting a relationship. You're you're still dealing with the same things. It's still, you know, a lot of a lot of gay a lot of gay men. You know, couples have open relationships, and um, and you know that's. Uh, I don't know. It's you no know, a relationship between a man and a woman is uh, is not different between uh, you know two men. I mean, it's still hu two humans dealing with each other. It's um, I don't know. I just never, I just never felt a huge difference between like um. I don't know, kind of lingus and palatio, you know? It's kind of like you're still in the same headspace. It's just a little different. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So uh, <laughs> so let's see. Uh, tyrant. Like, you know, talk a bit about, like, what... I mean, it was basically... It was a journal first, and then you started publishing books, or was it always going to be an imprint? No, it was, uh, no, it was just a journal. And then, and then like... Brian Evanson, we, well, Michael Kimball and Brian Evanson were the first people to kind of send us manuscripts, to send me manuscripts. And I, um, I've gotten very lucky. Like I've, whenever I've signed on a writer or whatever, I've, I've done it at a time where I won't be doing the book for, you know, it's just like a two year gap or something. And in the meanwhile, they'll put out some like book that hits. It was, like a, I don't know, I feel like I caught him at the right time. And then after this other book came out, you know, I was writing the press off the next one or for the next one. Um, I, um, you know, the first, uh, for the first issue, the first issue is very difficult. If we're starting a lit, lit mag, it's, you know, it's hard to get uh, stories for something that doesn't exist. 
so, you know, the the guy that I was, you know, kind of working with, he, he had studied with Gordon Lish, and he, you know, told Gordon about it, and he gave us some names, and, and you know, when you send an email to someone who's close to him, they, you know, they cough it up. And so we got some great shit. And then from the first issue, then, you know, the first issue is basically a business card that you send out for the second one. And the writers that you publish in the first one recommend other ones. And then it just snowballs and you snowball into the community. And it's, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was never a problem getting good stories. It was, uh, I don't know. Um, and then, yeah, we just started putting the books out. I did the, the Brian Evanson was the first one. And that was that was great. That's like you know, it's a gorgeous book, and um, sold it for like thirty. You know, we only did like five hundred. Sold it for thirty-five, forty bucks. Um, it was it was nice. Brian, you know, Brian is very generous. He's uh, you know, he never asked for anything. He basically you know handed it to us and was like, here you go. It had been it had been serialized in a magazine that he didn't think anyone had read. Like it, it was serialized in like. It's not even that long. It's realizing like 13 issues, I think. He was like, I don't think anyone bought all these 13 issues. And he's just, just like, take it. I think he's, I mean, the only thing I, I worked out with him was, um, and this is how I've gotten most of, most of my manuscripts. We have, my grandfather I mentioned earlier from Kendrick and the Coleman, he came back to Italy and to his, to his town where there was this old building, this like 17th century Castelletto, like a, like a very, it's, it's not a castle, man. It's a castle-looking building. It's small, but it's in this big piece of land. And the man who owned it was a, had a gambling problem, and he needed money and had to sell it. So my granddad had a little bit of money from like the shop uh, that he sold the coal miner stuff to, and he bought it. And his whole family moved into it. He moved back to West Virginia. Um, wait, where was I going with this? What was the question? Ty, oh, it was like Tyrant, the journal, the oh, books. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the books. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so instead of paying, like, you know, a bunch of cash, I buy a plane ticket for them. And they go over to this place, which is which is heaven on earth, man. I mean, it's it's 20 miles from the Med. The, the Nazis occupied it during the war. It's, I mean, it's gorgeous, gorgeous. It's like, it's from the town and... And our, like, the land there is, is kind of, I mean, not as big, but it's um, kind of like Manhattan and Central Park. And it's in the middle, so it's like I buy them a plane ticket, they go over there for a week, which which costs me very little, and, or, you know, a week or two. And so that's our kind of agreement. Like, I send them over there, and that's the advance. And so, wait, this house, is this place is still in your family? Yes, yeah. yeah. So how often do you get to go over there? Um, I used to go over a lot more. Now I go like once in the summer. Um, I go over once for a week or two. But um, it's uh, yeah, man, it's it's gorgeous. You know, we're working on fixing it up, and like I've I've talked to I've talked to some writers about doing a um, doing like uh, you know how Coppola has that shit done like Brazil, or whatever is his writing. What's it like Belize. Or, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's Brazil. Yeah. I feel like he's got, like, hotels. Yeah. And he's got all sorts of stuff. Yeah, well, he has one, like, you know, place. I mean, one of his homes down there that, you know, he sends down, a, you know, a big rider, and people pay to go over there. And, you know, I'd like to maybe turn it into that at some point. Or, you know, maybe for a few weeks here. Like, 
I was talking with Brian Edmonton about it. You know, send him over there, do a couple, you know, do a class in the morning, then send him out to go see Rome's an hour away, Napoli's an hour and a half away. Uh, there's Pompeii. There's everything around there to see. It's Thomas Aquinas' head is in the church nearby. It's uh, that's where he died at this this uh, this kind of monastery nearby this town. What's, uh, the, name, what's the name of the town where your place is? Uh, it's called uh, it's called Cetiruano. It's S E Z Z E, and then Romano. Wow. Um, and then what kind of like when you talk about it, like it's like a country place with lots of land. Is that right? Yeah, well, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just like, a, it's a big piece of land, a big piece of, you know, like olive trees, a big piece of greenery, you know, and then there's town all around it. Like, if you look at it from, Google, like, Google Earth or whatever, it looks like, you know, Central Park in Manhattan, and then, like, you're, then it's on the hilltop. You could see the Nazis occupied it because they could see, they could see down the, up the Appian Way to Rome, and, um... And they were still, the, the Americans bombed nearby, and it took down like a third of the Castelletto. And there were Nazi soldiers buried in the, uh, in the driveway until, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. Germany came and dug them up and, you know, took them back. But, uh, yeah, my, my great aunt and uncle, he was a baby at the time. If the, the Nazi soldiers, they would, uh, if they broke up all their furniture, burned that for firewood, and they would kind of bother her. She was a young, good-looking lady. I just, she would have my my uncle, my Lucho was his name. He was kind of like my father in Italy. You know, later on when I was over there. But whenever they bother her, you know, she would pinch him on the butt and make him cry. So like they would leave her alone. So he was traumatized as a young child. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, it's you know very it's a very historical place. God, that yeah. sounds awesome. And so yeah, that's how I you know it's I you know all my writers are everyone I published is a dear friend of mine. You know I, I love them all. Like I don't know if I you know I don't know if that just goes with the writing or what it is, but I think it's an important part. Like I want them to you know any book I've done there you know they're heavily involved with it. You know, sometimes I regret it, you know, when they're pushing for something I don't like, whatever, but, you know, I want them to be happy with the book, you know, most importantly. How but many I, How many books have you done? Um, let's see, we've done like 10 Tyrants, and we've done, what, Brian Evanson, uh, Firework by Eugene Martin, Us, Michael Kimball, Blake Butler, Skysaw. Um, Sam Michelle, Strange Cowboy, then I have three coming out this season. The, um, Bree Calloway, Ken Bauman, and Scott McClanahan in August. McClanahan's book comes out. Like a fellow West Virginian. He's just got a crapalacia. Yeah. Just came out, so. Yeah, he came out today. I could Scott is then one day I turned on there's a, there's a clip on YouTube or whatever, him reading kidney stones and one day I go like clicked that, hit play and I got up from my desk and walked around. As soon as he started talking, I was like, Holy shit, I was like, this is like this is someone from this is like my friends and just hearing his voice and I emailed him immediately and we've we became fast friends. I love him like a brother. He just actually he was just dating my he dated my cousin for a little bit recently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was when I was home for Thanksgiving, yeah, you know, he's he's uh he's recently divorced and um you know, he was uh I think he was, you know, a little down and uh 
I said, you know, come up to, uh, I was down there for Thanksgiving. We were going up to this ski resort and it's called Snowshoe. And I was like, I'll pick you up. We'll go up there for a couple of days. And my two lovely girl cousins, um, Eleanor and Meredith, and he started seeing uh, Eleanor. And I thought it was, you know, it's a good thing. I mean, it was a good thing for a while. It didn't last for long, but I think, you know, maybe it was something they both needed at the time. And it all. I mean, I, I love Scott to death, man. He's uh, he's really, really like a brother to me. He's, um, I've been mean to him on occasion, and I'm sorry for it. But. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you like? I mean, because, like, you know, you're sort of carving out your own space in publishing like a lot of, I mean, uh, like some people are. You know, it seems like that's the way things are sort of going. Like, what is your do you, yeah. have, do you have strong feelings about the current state of things? And like, are you able to make a living doing these books, or do you have, do you do other things to support yourself? Or? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, I do. You know, I, I write online. I you know, I write on there with my name. I write pseudonymously for other for other places. Um, I you know, the magazine. I think I I think I made money off of one. You know, because we usually, with the launch of, of an issue, I'd have a party, and I usually have, like, bands play, charge 10 bucks at the door, you get a copy, and I'd had, like, really big ones, or this, this one, like, 400 people came, so I made, I made the money back for that, but, you know, I lose money on the magazines, mostly, because Ingram, you know, distribution is, you know, they're basically, like, robbers of young indie presses and and so is uh ubiquity and uh i've never made you know i never made a fucking cent off that but it did put them in the stores put them in barnes and noble and you know there's a you know whatever cultural capital that comes with that well with the novels there's you know it's it's doing better with with the books i'm a little disinterested in doing magazines anymore like i want to do maybe like one a year something like that but um it's uh, I'm I'm more into doing the whole books by I don't know. It's, I'm I'm more interested in that. You know, I mean, I feel like putting together journals almost like I don't know. It seems seems like a younger thing to do. I'm getting older. I'm like I'm. It seems like making a mixtape or something. You know? <laughs> I'm more interested in doing someone's. You know, my first book, the first. Well, the first big print one was you know Eugene Martin's Fireworks. I mean, Eugene Martin. I think he's I think he's the best. He's the best writer around. Um, he's, you know, not the best, but he's one of them, definitely. He's, uh, he's fantastic. And that book was, I was, you know, when I was first, when I was first working with it, I was like sweating on that, you know, with the journal, I was like, fine, I do a good job getting the journal out. But this is one man's like 10 years of work. So there was this pressure that like was not, letting me sleep at night. Like, I was like, fuck, man, I cannot fuck this up. Like, so I'm done. a good friend of mine, Dorenstein, is a dear friend of mine from the Paris Review, and I called him, and he, you know, met me out of the bar, and I, you know, whatever, cried to him over my problems, and he, you know, told me, he's like, look, all you know, all you do is, you know, make the book look good and try to get the reviews. You know, that's your job. You know, the rest of it, don't worry about it, man. Just, that's all you can do. And um, so that, you know, that calmed me down a little bit, but it's, you know, it's a little more, it's a little more intense, you know, with, when you're dealing with, you know, a couple hundred pages that it took someone a long time to put together. Um, 
so I don't know. That's that's the direction I'd like to take. I'm not I'm not into growing really. Like I've had chances to grow, and it it involves more people, which kind of turns me off. I don't know. I feel like I'd like to. You know, I'm really not. I'm really. You know, I'm, I'm a pushover, man. I guess I feel like I'm a pushover, but it's is like. But when I do kind of lose a little bit of control, or someone else is is working with me, is forcing their shit into it. I feel like I'm. It's it's not pure anymore, or something. You know, it's uh, it's not. I mean, I think. I mean, I think like journals with like. A board of 20 people picking up the stories is a fucking joke. Like, I mean, it was going to be so inconsistent and I don't know. I just, I think one person should do it and that's it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, because like, I think like, you know, when I read like a, a, a website or a journal or even like an anthology that's curated by one person, it feels more whole and more solid somehow because you're getting yeah, one person's totally. sensibility. You know, provided, provided you have some sort of, uh, you know, synchronicity with them. But like, you know, if I have, if I yeah. have somebody I trust curating for me, I like that, you know? Yeah. Well, no, I had, I had Luke Goble. He did, he collected stories for the last issue. Um, and they were fantastic. You know, he, he did a fantastic job on it. You know, I threw a couple things in there and turned down some things, but, uh, I had a little influence on it, but he got great stories and it was, you know, it was it was good. We have you know we have very similar tastes. He put a, he put a really good issue out. I'm proud of it. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's like growing is a little weird just because I'm you know I run I run this thing out of my you know my studio apartment. So it's having someone over here. I have to really like them. Like I had Alec Niedenthal working for me like this past summer, and I love him. So he was great to be with here. You know. He would help me out during the day and uh, a few times a week. And that was, that was nice. That was fine. But um, I don't know. I just I don't feel like I'm hard to work with, but I maybe I guess I probably am. I guess I'm just a little too, like, you know, pushy and whatever. Well, but it's, just, it's, it's your thing, man, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, it is. You know, it well, is, and the thing about it, it too, because I, I sort of understand this, is that, like, uh, at the end of the day, if something's fucked up, it's going to be on you. It's not going to be on, yeah. you know, it's your name kind of associated with it. So you... Exactly. Exactly. But I've been working with Adam Robinson from Publishing Genius lately. He's been doing all, you know, my layouts and stuff, and he's fantastic. I love his press and what he does. Um, and I like the, I love the new Night News book. Like, uh, yeah, from Stephanie Barber. I just yeah. talked to her for the show not too long ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, 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 was, that was pretty cool. I tried to, I, I got a hold of a friend of mine trying to get Bob Seeger's contact to send him a, a book or send him one of those, but he didn't have it. He saw music that I put out. But, um, anybody, yeah, anybody I don't know. listening, if anybody listening knows how to get in touch with Bob Seeger, please contact Jim. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Contact me. Contact me so I can send them night moves or contact Adam. And, uh, I, don't, I think you'd enjoy it. It's really great, man. Like, it's, it's a cool book. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of internet literature and, like, that feels, I mean, that's especially, uh, I think that especially fits that definition because it's literally just the comments from a YouTube post, but there's just so much happening. There's so much writing that exists on the web. It's just, you can't even fathom it. And there's so much of it to me that's really, really interesting. And 
like just the other day I tweeted something that felt like it just it kind of crystallized how I've been feeling about writing lately. And it was something, yeah. it was something to the effect of like my favorite, my favorite thing to read are emotionally loaded, unusually good first drafts that are concise and clear. And I think that that's another way of saying that like, sometimes I find myself responding most strongly to stuff that I read online that is either, I don't know, am I making any sense? Like comments, for instance, yeah. oh, I did a whole book oh. of these comments and they, they affect me more because there's something really raw and true about them or something, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean like, and okay. Yeah. You want to talk about Twitter? Or, like, I mean, I don't know. It's uh, I feel like with, I was thinking about this earlier day. I was thinking like, you know, I follow, I follow a bunch of people on Twitter, you know, some of them are great and consistent, you know, every time, you know, it's like a, something I, you know, I dig, but like something I feel a little bit more from Twitter to people that like, a pretty shitty at it, and then like, and then but every like every once in a while they'll just nail the fucking shit out of the fucking tweet, and it's it feels so much greater than reading someone who's consistently good. It's just like you see someone break through, and I don't know, seeing like their you know their failures, and their, uh, it's it's uh, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I, know, I find myself you know. on Twitter like I find myself like the people who constantly tweet. But do yeah. so, but do so in a way that's like kind of without guile. Like they're they're literally just like talking about their day. Like they they've obviously just got their phone in their hand constantly, and yeah. they, just, they just don't give a shit. Like they don't care. Like yeah. they'll, they'll tell you anything, even like the most mundane thing to the most personal thing. I find those people interesting. It's like their entire life is documented on this thing. <laughs> oh, like this kid, this kid, uh, this kid Liam from from England. Arist, he goes by A U R I S T on Twitter. Like, he was the first person I became fascinated with. I mean, he was just on there, all, like, all the time, just, you know, really intelligent shit. And it was just, you know, it's like, it's just being in, you know, being in the kid's mind. And, you know, and along with the other few hundred people I follow, it's, I don't know, it's, it's and it's live, and it's, you know, it's, it's happening at the, at the time. And Twitter has, has really, like, you know, I surrendered to it. You know, I'm just, I'm like, okay, this is what I, this really excites me. I like to read it. But yeah, me too. First of all, my, my attention span is very short, but it's, it's, um, I think it's, it's fucking magical. And I don't know, I think I, you know, I'm always on, you know, I used to smoke cigarettes and think, you know, outside, but now I smoke cigarettes and look at my phone. If I'm alone, if I'm not, you know, if I'm alone, I'm always looking at my phone or like maybe I'm reading a book. Or you know, at my desk or computer, but it's um, it's because it's uh, like uh, if it's my phone, it's it's the thoughts like closest to me that aren't my own. You know, like I can you know open it up and I stop thinking and read other people's shit. You know, it's just you know, it's a uh, it's a drug. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a heavy drug, I think. Yeah. But it's it's great. I, I can see how like anybody. Any writer like is not just amazed with it. I'm, it's uh, they just surprise me. Like writers that talk, you know, badly about it, and that it's you know a bad thing. I'm just like, are you fucking crazy? It's like it's really great. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think, I mean, I think we're still seeing. I think we'll still, we're still a ways off from seeing how exactly it's going to 
embed itself into our literature. You know, obviously there are ways that you can notice it already, but you know, it feels like we're just at the beginning of how yeah. how the way that we write and communicate now is going to finally, you know, realize itself in books. You know, and it's you know it's going to be interesting to watch if nothing else. Yeah, you know, it's I think it's it's a fracture. You know, it's a fracture, and but I think it's I don't know. It'll it will turn into yeah. It will turn into something else. It's I don't know. I feel I feel like I don't know the time we're living in right now. I mean, it's. It's it's pretty amazing, you know. It's uh, just uh, the technology and shit is is pretty fucking amazing. I imagine I was thinking today someone tweeted some shit about like a friend of mine, Christos tweeted like and and the emotional maturity award goes to or, and the and the no and the Zelda Fitzgerald emotional maturity award goes to and he didn't mention who went to them. He was speaking to someone in particular, but. I can imagine if like Zelda Fitzgerald had Twitter and like how annoying and fucking shitty she would be. And <laughs> I don't know. Really? I don't know like, it would be fascinating. Like if, Joy, if Joyce could have Twitter and like have all his friends on there and read what his friends are thinking, like I mean, all those guys have been all over it. Well, yeah, no, I think I mean I, I always I always joke that like a guy like Allen Ginsberg would have been all over Twitter had he been around to to see it, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of writers. Like, there, there's a lot of writers you can imagine really taking to it, you know, even from yeah. the distant past. Yeah, and he'd have been like I don't know, he'd have probably been annoying. Um, who would have been? Who else? Who would have been good on Twitter? Anyway, probably been really good. Yeah, he had the he had the brevity thing going, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting, interesting thing. Well, I'll tell you, man. It's been uh, it's been great talking with you. Thanks so much for taking the time, and best of luck. Thank with, you, man. Uh, all of your tyrant uh, titles that are rolling out in the next year. I'm excited for them. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's um, it's just been great talking to you too, man. All right, you guys, there you go. That is it. That is Giancarlo DiTrapano. You can find him online at nytyrant.com. He's on the Facebook, and you can follow him on Twitter at nytyrant. Thanks to Kill Rockstars, as always, for all the great music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. And, uh, hey, don't forget to rate and review the podcast over at iTunes if you haven't done that yet. If you like it, if you like the program, if you listen regularly, please take two minutes out of your life to do that. It really does help the cause. Uh, also, don't forget to go download the app, the official Other People app. It is available for your iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, or Android device. It's free, and it's the best way to listen to this show. New episodes automatically upload to the app. You can download episodes to listen uh, offline. You can organize your favorite episodes, and you can access the full archives as well. So go get the app. Uh, otherwise, busy day. I've got a lot going on. Things are happening. And uh, I'll have to tell you about it at some point. Uh, what can I tell you? I think things are busy. And I think things are good. Hopefully things are good. Change is in the air. That's what I can say. Change is in the air. Please remember that Vincent Van Gogh had green eyes and that Albert Camus won Nobel Prize for Literature at the age of 44. That's all for now. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for spreading the word. I appreciate it. And I will be back again soon with another conversation with another writer. In the meantime, uh, get naked. I don't care. Go streaking. Have fun. I really don't care if you get naked on television. You know, I was just trying to be contrapuntal. I don't care if you go to the beach. I don't care if anyone gets naked. Unless it's on IMAX. 
I draw the line at IMAX. (laughs) 